Welcome back to the Stone Podcast. Alongside Joshua Insinius, I'm Benjamin Goff. It has been quite a while since our last podcast. Uh, last time Josh and I were on, we talked about Sundance, the festival that kicks off the never-ending film cycle. The never-ending film cycle. Um, and we're back to talk about uh, a festival coming up, sort of described by Josh as the Sundance of New York City. Uh, we're talking about BAM Cinema Fest. A lot of movies that played out in Park City in January have made their way through the circuit, and they've ended up at BAM Cinema Fest this June, um, which is coming up at the end of this month. Josh has had the privilege of covering the festival. You can read his piece for Mubi coming out within the next few days. Uh, but what we are going to do is allow Josh to just kind of run us through the movies that he has seen at the festival that uh, you'll be seeing coming to the indie theater circuit soon. So we've got three movies, a documentary, a docu-hybrid, and, uh, which is not a phrase that we can use. Um, but we've got a few docu-hybrids in the series, but we're only going to... We've got a few that we're going to talk about here. And then uh, a movie, a fiction movie, following the new female coming-of-age genre of sorts that we've been seeing of recent. Um, but there's no better person to explain what we're going to be talking about than Josh himself. So I'm going to pass the mic off to him, and he's going to take it away. So Josh, here you go. So we're going to talk about three movies today. I think I'm close enough to the mic. Sounds good. Um, let's see. We'll start with America, which is by Eric Stoll and Chase Whiteside. I believe they are most famously known for a lot of like um, left-wing media um, on the internet. Um, I don't think this movie has very much to do with that um, content, but it is about this 92-year-old, I believe, woman named America and her caretaker son was accused of elder abuse and he was put in jail, in prison. And so all of his kids have to reunite um, I think there's three of them. There's three sons. They have to reunite to take care of her. And one of the sons is married. And so the four of these people are taking care of this 92-year-old woman in America. Um, and, you know, it, and it's taking the four of them to actually do the work that one person was doing. Um, to remain, to have any sort of modicum of sanity, it's taking all four of them to, to carry the load. So you could see why um, this guy, this guy, her her son Luis, was um, absent, which I didn't mention, but um, he was absent from the home one day, and she was found on the ground with her head bleeding. She had fallen out of the bed, and she was confused, and and um, there wasn't a really thorough investigation of what happened. So they just threw him in jail. They threw Luis in jail, and. They are, um, the siblings are working together to take care of her. And they're actually quite good at it. Um, all of them are involved in either 
um, yoga or meditation or one of them actually is a, like a, a circus performer. So they're, they have very like limber bodies and they're actually, it's quite, it's quite perfect for um, helping a 92 year old person be, become able-bodied once again to know how the body works in such a way and be able to work it out for her. But of course, because it's a movie, there's some sort of tension and, and drama that arises and that, that happens among the siblings. Um, y- you know, like in, in most relationships, people weigh their, the work they do against someone else's. And if someone else doesn't measure up, you know, you start to wonder, are they as committed as I am or what have you? So there's a lot of tension and drama that flares up between them over that. And the, the film itself, this documentary, rather short, about an hour and a half. It's um, shot beautifully. I don't know the, the, ra- the film ratio, but it looks gorgeous. Um, it doesn't shy away from any of the more difficult things of aging, specifically memory loss, um, physical um, sort of shutting down, like limbs being less functional and less flexible. And even things like um, like bowel movements, these these um, grandsons actually have to help her shower, and they have to help her um, make bowel movements, often with actual physical assistance to remove it. So the movie really gets into what is care, what is self care, um, and the tension between those and. Um, and the question that's sort of posed between the siblings are is self-care and um, service care, care for someone else. Um, are they competing goods? Are they in tension with each other? Or can there be a balance? And um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of drama in the film. It's a Latin American film. It's actually only an hour 16 minutes. It's so well constructed, I can tell you that the hour 16 minutes feels like a feature-length film or it feels like the length of a normal feature-length film in America. And um, the film is played at a lot of documentary film festivals. It won awards at the Ashland Independent Film Festival. Um, I don't know how to pronounce this, but it's the CPH colon DOX Festival, Um, the Full Frame Documentary Film Festival. It's won quite a few awards. I'm not sure what its um, distribution is going to be, if it's just going to be video on demand or if it's going to be picked up and played in theaters or what have you, but the way documentaries tend to go is they have a short distribution life or a short exhibition life in theaters and they will have a huge video on demand following and they'll make they'll reap tons of money and really well and I expect this one could do well um, I'm not entirely sure how well foreign language documentaries do in America ironically America um, um, but we will see on this one it depends on how I guess how good its coverage is and how well critics can connect it to and sort of the Alzheimer's and um, epidemic in our country and I'm not sure if America the the woman in the film has Alzheimer's, but it sure seems like it. Um, she's really sort of lost her sense of self in a way, and her memory is only jogged by things that 
like um, like songs from her childhood and what have you. So anyway, um, it's playing at the festival. I don't know what date it's playing. I know that whenever it plays, the the directors will be there to do a Q and A afterward. And just like I think, I think I could be wrong, but I believe every film is going to have a Q and A afterward. So it'll be worth it'll be worth going out and seeing with people. Um, it'll be worth putting your twelve to fifteen dollars toward. These shorter documentaries are ones that I think are really grasping my attention. Even uh, Hale Counting this morning, this evening was only seventy minutes, but it was it it didn't feel like a short movie. It felt like a perfect feature length film. Um, so be sure to catch America um, on Josh's recommendation. It looks to be a very great film. The next movie we've got coming up is a film, a fiction film. So moving away from the documentary uh, mode of filmmaking into fiction, we've got Bo Burnham's film, Eighth Grade, starring Elsie Fisher, adding to the list of recent female-driven coming-of-age stories. You've got Lady Bird, you've got Ingrid Goes West, um, and a, a growing list. So uh, what was it about eighth grade um, that drew you in that separates it? What is it about the movie that separates itself from the other movies like it that have come out recently? So it was a shock. I really actually went out of my way to see the film. Um, I was I don't necessarily like Bo Burnham's comedy. Um, so I wasn't like expecting much from the film. Um, you know, I heard it had done well. I heard it was nominated for the grand jury prize at Sundance, but, um, I find personally increasingly that doesn't mean very much. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I've seen some of the films that were nominated, uh, the film that won that award. I dislike a lot. Um, so anyway. Um, this movie, so you probably haven't seen this movie, dear listener, but it's on Netflix. It is called Henry Gamble's Birthday Party by Stephen Cohn. This film takes what is great about that film and uh, focuses it on it and extrapolates. Um, its point, and I will explain because that was incredibly abstract. <laughs> um, so, Intergamble Birthday Party is about a birthday party. I think it's, uh, I don't, maybe it's 24 hours of um, this kid, Henry Gamble's life leading up to the birthday party, and that's sort of a Robert Altman esque, like, you know, Henry Gamble is the definitely the protagonist, but he is not really the only character, and everyone else has these. Overlapping, not necessarily uh, narratives that touch each other's or influence each other's story, but they are all they are all there and happening at the same time, and it all tends to revolve around the insecurities of young and or religious people, um, the insecurities of their bodies um, when it comes to like being at a pool party. Um, and the different insecurities that can arise because of uh, shame they might feel 
or our religious ideas about what the body, the purpose of the body and how it should be displayed. So I feel this film teases out sort of one, ooh, I hit the mic, one character from that kind of storyline. And it's the story of a eighth grade girl who has a, I assume, a daily vlog on YouTube that seemingly no one watches. It's a lot of self-help talk. And, but, and she's sort of like, she knows all the right things to say to herself, you know, like, oh, just like be happy and be positive because if you're not positive, then like, what are you? You know, it's like kind of like, kind of like uh, empty platitudes. And those vlogs always overlap with sort of these like montages of her not following her own advice because she's 12. I mean, and she's awkward. Like that's like, that's just completely normal. Um, it's, it's actually quite sad that she's so inundated in this idea of who she thinks she should be that she has, she's almost totally out of touch with who she actually is, which is a very fine person, um, which the movie teases out in a great way. And she comes to accept herself as a good person, as a beautiful person. Anyway, um, so it's sort of about the, I think it's based on like the last week of this girl's eighth grade year. She is going to a pool party. There's this like super dorky, like Woody Allen-esque character kid who's like her like love interest, but she doesn't know it. Like he's like totally smitten, but she's like looking at the cool kids, you know, and comparing herself, herself to them. And she kind of goes to the ringer with that. And then she's invited to, well, she has like a um, high school day where she goes to the local high school and she's assigned a senior to shadow that day. And the senior is like totally sweet and cool to her. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, she gets to hang out with the friends, um, her friends at the mall and, you know, just do stuff that like someone who's um, 13, 14 would love to do with a 17, 18 year old. And she sort of gets a sense of herself because she's sort of being affirmed in who she is. She's not having to perform for these these seniors. They see her for who she is. They see that she's young. They see that she's immature. She's not being judged for it by them, whereas her most direct peers are judging her. And um, it gives her a sense of confidence that at some point, one of these friends of the girl who she shadowed, this guy, he's like coming on to her in a way that's very aggressive. And she has the confidence to tell him no. And she does it in a way that doesn't humiliate him, but she does it also in a way that um, where she's standing up for her dignity. So it's like really, it's really, uh, she's very empowered. And she um, has this very, well, mostly flat relationship with her single father. But over the course of the the film, they come to know each other in very, um, um, I guess the best word is intimate, even though I don't want to use that word, but a way that's more personable than sort of the tensions of a of a middle schooler and a parent. And um, I don't know, it's just, I don't even know if I'm explaining it all, but it's really funny and it's really well thought out. And um, this guy, Bo Burnham, he's, um, I guess he's somebody to look out for because he, he created what I think is one of probably the best movies that I've seen this year. Um, just so well constructed. There's not a, a single um, wasted line of dialogue or, or anything and very economic, economical storytelling, and, but really, really full 
um, very full-hearted. So that is eighth grade. If you know one thing about Josh Insinius, you know that he will always recommend Henry Gamble's birthday party, of which is my cardinal sin that I have still yet to have seen it, even with a friendship with Josh that goes back quite a way. It's on Netflix. It's on Netflix. I don't own, I don't have a Netflix account, but I use somebody else's, and I should I, I should exploit that and yeah. and watch Henry. I'm going to do that tonight after the podcast. Moving on to our last, our last movie to talk about. We are 17 years removed from the famous skateboarding documentary Dogtown and Z-Boys, Stacey Peralta's award-winning cult classic. Um, but this year at BAM Cinema Fest, we have a new front runner for Josh that goes in... Uh, oh my God, that documentary was that long ago? 2001. Dogtown and Z. That, like, when it came out. I'm so, oh my God. so the last movie we're going to talk about is a skateboarding documentary coming out this year called Minding the Gap and Saving the Best for Last. Uh, Josh is going to tell us about it and then wrap us up. So to pass the figurative and physical. Mike, back to Josh. We are one mic down due to some technical difficulties, but to pass the mic to Joshua, he's going to tell you about the new uh, entry into the skateboarding documentary sub-genre. Josh. Yep, so this one is made by Bing Liu, who is, I believe, a first-time director, all the above. He's done a lot of work. Um, on larger projects like I'm trying to pull up his IMDb like stuff that you're like oh you're working on indie films now like he worked on well some pretty bad movies but they <laughs> were still big budget movies like they, he worked on Divergent, Jupiter Ascending and Transcendence like all movies that flop super hard but they're also big budget like big like action or like, um, movie star movies so anyway uh, Bing Lou, is a, I guess he's in his like mid to later 20s now. He looks really young, but I guess that he's, he's older now. Anyway, they grew up, um, him and these three guys are skateboarders. They grew up in this Rust Belt town. I think it's in Illinois. I think they have like, I think it's like, they have some like one of the top crime statistics, like homicide or something. Like something just really terrible, right? Um, and they sort of skateboard as a sense of community, they created a, they basically created a family for themselves to look out for each other because they, they have, they all have mothers, but their fathers are either absent or dead or abusive or there's just some problem with, with the fathers, with all of them. And so Bing started out filming these skate videos and eventually he started actually interviewing his friends just to sort of, it seemed like to get to know them better through the sort of the artifice of the camera or the safety of the camera. And um, he finds out that, that one of his friends, his names fail me, um, one of his friends is he's sort of like he's a charismatic type, a real schmoozer, but he's also like he kind of, he kind of plays everybody. No one knows the real him, the real guy. And um, there's this other friend of his, Kieran, Kira, um, 
who has a absent father who was sort of abusive toward him, but he also has some affinity, affection toward him. And over the course of an hour and a half, you watch these guys sort of evolve from, um, you know, 15-year-old teenagers to people in their early 20s, people going from adolescence to manhood. And the different struggle of that for them, Bing is clearly doing well. He's making this documentary. He works with... Um, Ben, what's that? What's that documentary group that made Hoop Dreams? Steve James. Yeah, Steve James' his programs like Karastami Films or something. I should know the name of it, but I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, he's working with them. And uh, Kieran? I'm just going to look it up in my notes. Cardam Quinn? Yeah, Cardam Quinn. That's the production company. Uh, Kira. Kiri, um, he like he's kind of like screwing around with like the skateboarding stuff, and I'm not saying the skateboarding is screwing around, but he's sort of just sort of not preparing for his future, and using that as a scapegoat or as a way to hide instead of to advance or to um, be make friends. He at some point he begins to hide behind it, and then one of their other friends becomes kind of a he gets a girl pregnant. He becomes abusive toward her. He denies it. She wants to hide it. Kind of like you can kind of like read, you know, it's sort of like the story with a thousand faces in the most negative sense. Or that he wasn't the hero with a thousand faces. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's the anti hero with a thousand faces. But you see like their ups and downs. Um, Bing even has a moment where he interviews his mother who remarried this guy. Or he, she married a guy, rather, who was abusive toward him. And they, she, he had a, she had a kid with him, so Bing has a stepbrother. And they talk about it, and it's a real, like, kind of therapeutic conversation. And um, Bing is actually behind the monitor, behind the camera, being filmed. So he, he's sort of obstructed, even when he's on camera. So you can see that this is a way for him to safely engage some of the really more terrible aspects of his, his life and his friends' lives. And um, I think the film was recently purchased by Hulu and it's going to play, it's going to, I think it's going to be on Hulu and or in theaters this August. And then the PBS uh, POV series, which is, I believe, the longest running documentary program on television in the country. They're airing it in January. This is one that I know that for a fact that a few people at IndieWire are saying this is like definitely a contender for for the Oscars, for documentary. Um, it has won and been nominated for just countless high-end documentary awards. It actually won the special jury prize for Bing for breakthrough filmmaking at Sundance. Um, this is a... You know, I don't really know how the careers of documentarians go. You know, there's a few that we know by name, like, like Michael Moore and... Who I don't know who else, Steve James, but for the most, I mean, but even Steve James, like he's not a household name. Michael Moore, like we know him, you know what I mean? So, like, it's tough to say where Bing will go, what have you, but I mean, he seems like a really, really nice guy, and he's made a really beautiful story of his own life. I'm not sure, like, I don't really know much about documentary, I don't know about, about the ethics of it. I'm, I would think that he might be breaking some 
lines and some walls that traditionally are not broken. But he's made something really great and um, moving the medium forward. And um, look out for it. I think you can watch it for free on Hulu in the coming months. So definitely watch this. Watch out for Bing, Bing Liu and watch out for Minding the Gap. For those of you who are not in New York, who cannot come to Band Cinema Fest, these movies will be getting some sort of theatrical run, maybe a week or two in your hometown. If not, they will for sure be streaming somewhere, um, which will be nice, even if that is like an iTunes or an Amazon instant video, maybe not Prime. But you'll for sure be able to... The good thing about the age of the internet is that you can basically see most things that are new that are coming out. Yes. Netflix has been very good about buying these things. So always check there first if you can't see it at your local theater, because as we always say, always see movies in theaters. That's the new mantra. Bam cinema fest coming soon. We're also right in the middle of TCM's massive musical festival, TCM Turner Classic Movies on your TV. Each week, they're exploring a new decade. Right now, we're in 1940s. Next week, Josh and I will be talking about three musicals to catch within the coming weeks because that's when the American musical really gets good is in the 1950s. That's not to say that it's not good in the 30s. But in the 1950s, when you mix musical and Technicolor and you get Vicente Minnelli in there, oh boy, you end up with something good. So, so tune in for that. We've got a Fred and Ginger series coming in July, speaking of musicals, in July at the Film Society. Andre Rublev at the Film Society. We've got a great programmed series at BAM. And by great program series, it's just a lot of great movies in the series. Uh, there's a lot of great rep stuff coming up this summer. Stay tuned on the Stone Podcast because we'll be talking about most of it. I'm Benjamin Goff, Josh Insinius, the backbone of the podcast. Stay tuned, and we'll see you here next week on the Stone Podcast. Podcast.